guys ever watch BoJack Horseman? A couple episodes. I didn't get into it when I, when you told me about it. Yeah. But I wanted to, so I will probably revisit it. That's fair. I really like BoJack Horseman. Yeah. And there is an episode where Diane encourages women to buy guns. Uh-huh. Like a protection thing. Like it's <laughs> okay. a big movement. Uh-huh. And then the end of the episode basically resolves in them passing gun control. Because... <laughs> <laughs> because... <laughs> And the joke was, like, women finally got in on it. Yeah. And, like, were really into it. And so they decided then they should control it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's accurate, that, I feel. That feels like what needs to happen in Texas. Exactly. <laughs> because you will get arrested. Also, you know what I think is funny? That you can only have six, but you can have endless amount of guns. Mm-hmm. You don't need a license. <laughs> For a dildo. <laughs> And yes. I've seen some that are could be used as weapons, <laughs> for sure. The big one that's still in its packaging sitting next to Danny could be used as a club. Like, <laughs> if someone entered the house, I could use that instead of the baseball bat under my bed to do some damage. So, I mean... Dildos can be weapons of they, max, they, mass destruction. <laughs> <laughs> that is so much, like terribly dirty innuendo (laughs) it's gonna destroy you (laughs) but not in the way that you think (laughs) dildos over guns (laughs) oh good stuff hello everyone hi hello my name is kiana that's kiana i'm cassie danny's here listening and all this (laughs) fucking nonsense that we're talking Mm -hmm. and this is that broad scott moxie this is Welcome. This is a terrible opening, but you know what? Hey, not everything is great. Let's have a positive attitude. Okay. <laughs> this has been the best opening ever, ever on any podcast. I'm saying it now. We're going to be recognized for it. Yeah. We are going to get an award yes, for that opening alone. <laughs> that cold opening was just not good. <laughs> we love We're going to get a Pulitzer. A po- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We just, we love to stumble into greatness like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't write it. <laughs> Literally. And that's why we go, what should we talk about today? <laughs> I don't know. Just something, anything. It doesn't matter. Tell me about the dildos in Texas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so in Texas, you're only allowed to have six dildos. Yes. But they just passed a law that says. You can have endless amounts of guns. Mm-hmm. Now put that in the front. No. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Pulitzer. <laughs> Danny's whispering things to us. What now? Permitless concealed carry. Which, first of all, why? Why are we doing this in the first place? You know what? I think we should protest. And instead of carrying... If you live in Texas, mm. <laughs> instead of carrying a gun, permitless, yeah. and just in a holster, because that's fucking necessary because we live in the Wild West or something, mm-hmm. just strap on a dildo like in your shoulder holster or like in your pocket or that's a funny image because the balls are gonna be the ones hanging out not the armpits (laughs) you just open your blazer and you got two balls (laughs) and then you whip them out (laughs) what a good visual look 
that if somebody would... anybody wants to create this i would be forever in your debt <laughs> <laughs> getting serious now we're getting we're super serious super serious did we already yeah we introduced ourselves already this is that broad's got moxie we're Good done luck. talking about dildos in texas <laughs> Danny's gonna have a fun time editing. Oh that. yeah, this is gonna be she's <laughs> <laughs> dildo to her head. <laughs> <laughs> That's a visual. Oh gosh. Perfect. Anyway, so mm-hmm. we've decided I'm going first this week. Yes. Excellent. As per the rules that we As said. per the rules. <laughs> also, I was writing this the other day and I was like, I'm going to Make sure that I write down what these women's signs are. Oh. it feels important to me. And after our discussion earlier about Aries and Scorpios. Mm-hmm. Being the superior sign. Clearly. Sorry, everybody yes. else, but not really. Sorry. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so I was like, I'm going to make sure that I write this down. So going forward, everyone will know their signs. Cool. All right. So today I'm going to talk about Surya... Bonali. Do you know who that is? The name's not ringing any bells. Okay. Were you ever a figure skating aficionado? Oh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She has an episode on Losers. She sure does. That docuseries <laughs> yep. that I fell in love with. Uh-huh. When you were watching all of your sports stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. When I became... A curling aficionado. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's, that's right. <laughs> you got any questions about curling? I'm your girl. You want to talk about Pat Ryan? The yes. curling cowboy? Oh, the curling <laughs> cowboy. You can come hit me up. Not on this podcast. No, that that's a different podcast. It's but on Kiana's curling podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> Never will exist. <laughs> you come to Danny one day and you're like, Danny, I'm going to need you to edit some things. It's my curling podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm okay. excited about this. Yes. So my, what are these things called? Sources. My bibliography. Thank you. My sources. There was an article that I read on theundefeated.com by Aaron Mathewson called Former Olympia Surya Bonali says, don't call her a rebel. Call her fearless. I think it's pronounced Bonali. Bonali. You're right. Okay. Thank you. You're no problem. Because I was like, I literally, you know, <laughs> it's, it's it's a rare occasion no. where I get to say something. You're very right, though, because <laughs> I literally just wrong. watched a thing and I was like, Bonnelly sounds like Donnelly. Okay, don't forget that. And then I completely <laughs> forgot it. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Bonnelly. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and then another article on Olympics.com by Ed Knowles. Surya Bonnelly on backflips, figure skating, fashion, and discrimination. And then what greatness looks like celebrating Surya Bonnelly from achievementfirst.org, which is a blog. Hell yeah. And a Washington Post article 20 years later, figure skating's most famous backflip remains amazing and illegal by Tick Root. All right. I'm excited Here? to get into this. We go. Me too. I love an athlete. Yes. Oh, <laughs> God. All right. Surya Varuna Claudine Bonnelly was born on December 15th, 1973. So she's a Sagittarius in Nice, France. Did I say that right too? Yes. Okay, thank you. I, was I like, think. <laughs> it's, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 
Because it's not nice. Because it's French. (laughs) (laughs) She was born in nice France. Nice France. (laughs) She was adopted at eight months old by a white couple named Suzanne and Georges Bonnelly. Uh, They changed her birth name from Claudine to Surya, which means sun in Sanskrit. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Two years after her adoption, the Bonnellys bought a sheepfold. And I was like, what the fuck is a sheepfold? I think it's just like a barn. Oh, okay. Where people keep sheep. Okay. Which is funny because when we were in Scotland, we stayed in a house that several hundred years earlier had been a sheep barn. (laughs) And we were like, (laughs) cool. (laughs) So it's not haunted. And if it is... It's strictly by sheep. So. And you count the ghosts and you fall asleep. Exactly. <laughs> that was a Peaches did get some energy <laughs> when Ooh. we were around. So that was that was fun. Okay. Anyway. So they bought this like sheep barn basically. And they were going to renovate it into a house. But it was pretty bad shape. Sarah grew up in this house without running water or electricity. And was roommates with just like 26 goats. <laughs> so. Oh, and that's freaky because they have rectangle pupils. Yeah. <laughs> They're. I think that's the worst. That part. is. That's definitely the worst part of goats. No, no, no. Of her um, early childhood. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would just say kidding. the no running water or electricity, but I mean, we all have our own thing. You know, looking goats in the eye. Worse. <laughs> <laughs> worse than having to shit in the woods. Okay. Yeah. so she took part in all the work on the farm from milking the goats to cleaning stalls to helping the lady goats birth kids which is what i it's a weird way to write that but (laughs) they had baby goats yeah which are kids which are kids which is a weird thing to say because it feels strange (laughs) goats giving birth to kids left right and center you know her mother suzanne was a pe teacher and enjoyed many sports and encouraged Surya to participate from a young age. The first sport she practiced was fencing, followed swiftly by ballet, horseback riding, diving, and figure skating. She had a natural talent for nearly everything she tried. And I say nuts to that because that's just not fair. <laughs> like, how are you going to go and just be amazing at everything you try? Yeah. I mean, good for her. Yeah, good for That's her. It's really exciting for it, her. But, like... It probably was, like, you know, the manual labor of growing up. That's true. She probably had a lot of, like, natural strength development. Uh-huh. And then ballet, honestly, lends to everything. Sweet Lord. Except for maybe hip-hop. That's true. Because I've seen ballet dancers try hip-hop. I beg to differ. I saw some last year. That was tight! <laughs> Oh, Lord. <laughs> all right. That's hip hop. <laughs> yeah, you just got to lean back and forth. It's all about the attitude. Isn't yeah. that what they say in the movie? As I'm just like, hey, what's going on? Over here. <laughs> back and forth on the mic. Danny, Danny loves. loves it. <laughs> that and all these sounds. <laughs> Which is why Kiana is not allowed to hold the microphone anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I'm strictly a stand gal now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which I understand. That is my bad. 
Okay, where was I? She was She's good, good at, at everything. everything she does. So, in fact, when her mother would take her students to the ice rink, she would take Surya, who was still a baby. Mm-hmm. And so she would just be there all the time. And then eventually, when she was two, she got her on skates that had two blades. Oh. Because they help with balance. Yeah. And basically, she'd be, like, teaching her class and be like, okay, go keep yourself busy. <laughs> so skating around on her little... Oh, that's cute. Her little tiny, like, baby feet. <laughs> Two Ice blades. So four cute. blades. So cute. Let's see. At age four, Surya developed a passion for gymnastics and trained mm. with an Olympic coach for many years. Despite her love for gymnastics as a teenager, though, it was figure skating that won out when she had to choose one. We all know that gymnasts are strong as hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and be- yes. Sorry. We're talking about gymnasts, so I have to talk about one of my favorite Tell movies. Me. Stick It. Have you ever seen it? I love Stick It. If you ever want to have a, a the respect that female gymnastics deserves in your body, in your yes. system, watch Stick It. Please do. It's so great. Also, Have you seen it? That, yeah. that U.S. Olympic team, that, that is a fucking powerhouse yeah. of women. Yeah. So talented, strong, doing crazy shit that you're like, how, how does your, <laughs> how do you do that? Where does, where does the momentum come from? I can't even imagine. Yeah. They just have all that strength in their, their tiny little body. Yeah. There's there's a line in Stick It, and I'm getting it. I'm going to get it wrong. But it okay. was basically like, we do everything the Navy SEALs do, except there are less gymnastics, <laughs> like <laughs> less people in gymnastics, like seriously in gymnastics. And we do it in a fucking leotard. <laughs> That's right. With with elastic polyester just up your ass. In your whole asshole. <laughs> <laughs> they are flipping. Oh, look. They're- Stunting with it just inside of their asshole. The look on your face and the like how eyes, how your eyes got big and you were like looking at me directly across this, directly in your asshole. I was like, girl, I need to look away. Listen, I played sports where spandex were involved and they yep. weren't the kind. They that, weren't the kind. They weren't that leotards. Up. No. And yet they were, yet somehow they were yep. in my whole asshole. <laughs> just right they just tuck themselves yeah right in there so it was it's like it's a part of the design i honestly don't know yeah the people in charge were like how do we make this the most uncomfortable (laughs) yes that times 10 exactly of of course and then expect them to play a sport in it because we wouldn't want them to be comfortable no we want them to look hot yeah and uh you know because it's just, this is for us. It's not for them. <laughs> That's called the patriarchy. <laughs> Where am I? Okay, so it was her, all these years of gymnastics training that would give her, like, a bananas advantage mm-hmm. on ice skates. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm an idiot. I put... <laughs> hey, be nice to my friend. <laughs> this, is a, this is a throwaway <laughs> joke, but I literally wrote, with all of this going on... How did she have any time for these fucking goats? Like, <laughs> she's a busy bee. Wait, she was still doing this while she's, she was... She's got fucking extracurriculars and also goats at home to take care of. Oh, my gosh. See, in my brain, we had moved past the goats. Oh, no. But I don't know why I would think that. I mean, she's still there. 
She's just like doing homework, flute rehearsals, diving, skating, goats. <laughs> Wash, rinse, repeat. I'm telling you. It's crazy. <sighs> That's a lot to keep All up right. with. In 1984, so she's 11, Surya watched the Winter Olympics and decided to try the double axle. Just oh, cash. Cash. <laughs> real cash-like. And broke her ankle. Oh. So she wore a cast for two months while she's healing. Mm-hmm. She's playing her flute. Oh, wow. Uh, she's a very busy lady. But when she returned to the ice rink, the French team, who was trained by, I think, <laughs> his name is looks like it's Didier. Mm. Didier. Didier. Gagou. <laughs> <laughs> That's his name because he's a real dick. Oh, anyway, okay. so <laughs> even good thing he's a dick. <laughs> he's the coach. He's the coach for the French ice skating team, mm-hmm. and he, you know, just took up every available time spot on the ice and left her with no free time to do any training for herself. So her mother asked this guy to give her an hour on the ice and watch her, and he was like, "Okay." He was a dick about it, but. She tried another double axle with her healing broken, formerly broken ankle. And he was like, hmm, pretty good. Because of course he was. He's like, uh, excuse me, bitch. You go out there and do that on a broken ankle. Couldn't do I'm it. I'm just saying. You couldn't see that, but I did a hair flip. So It was uh, marvelous. Thank you. <laughs> He was like, okay, so you can train with us. So after a three-week session, he suggested that the family move to Paris to continue training with him year-round, which is a big fucking deal. Yeah. So for six months, while training with the French team, she was homeschooled, and the family lived out of a van with her parents and five dogs. Uh, which... Five dogs? <laughs> Sorry. It seems like a lot. That seems like a lot to worry about. A lot to stay, keep your shit together. Yeah. Oh, God. I can't even imagine. Five dogs in your family in a van. Yeah. And 26 goats. I want to know where the goats went. (laughs) I'm very concerned about these goats. Can't keep your mind off of them. I can't. So within a year, she had joined the French national team. And, in addition to all of this, became a championship tumbler. Oh, she's because still doing she's both? She's still doing both. Whoa. So, because this was in 1984, 1985, so she's only, like, 13? Jeez. 12, 13-ish. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so she's still doing, she's she's in high school, like, middle school into high school. She's gymnasting. Gymnasting? What the fuck? <laughs> she's still, she's still doing gymnastics. She's still doing all these things, and is also on the French national team for ice skating. Oh my goodness gracious! Yeah, just gonna preface this. There were a lot of like career highlights, mm-hmm. so I just picked some like along the timeline that I was like, oh, that's cool. Instead of because really, what it would just be is like a giant list of like <laughs> in this thing she placed fourth, in this place she took a gold medal, in this place you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I just kind of picked and chose different ones. So during the 1987-1988 season, Surya became the French Junior Figure Skating Champion, and then at the French Senior Championships, mm-hmm. she ended up in fourth place, 
and then was sent to the 1988 Junior Worlds. So. So she's fucking good. She, she's fucking good. She started in this, like, junior championship, and then before you know it, she's not even adult yet. She's skating in senior championships and then going to the Worlds. Jeez. Yeah. And at the Worlds, she finished in 14th. The following season, she won the bronze medal at the 1989 World Junior Championships. And she also won her first senior national title. She was awarded the silver medal at the 1990 World Junior Championships. So, she's, again, mm-hmm. not she's 17 in 1990. Not even a legal adult. (laughs) Not even a legal adult. She can't vote or buy a pack of cigarettes. I mean, maybe she can't because she's in France. I guess I don't know the rules there. (laughs) But if she were in America. If she were in in America. She can't vote. She can't do any of those things. And she's placing, Mm -hmm. even just placing in like a world championship and then getting bronze and silver medals at these senior championships Mm -hmm. is wild. Accolades among... Yes, exactly. So we're going to take a moment here to talk about her garbage fucking coach. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So obviously he's doing something well. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's naturally just incredibly talented. Maybe he's got some good guidance for her. Mm -hmm. He's probably just an asshole and like makes her feel bad and is like, you have to do better. Yeah. You know, but he's also just garbage. So let's talk about why. Okay. So in the late 80s, Surya's becoming a very big deal. Mm -hmm. People in the figure skating world know who this girl is. And for any of you devoted figure skating nerds who religiously watch this, these programs with their grandma, like I did, uh, it was our, it was our jam. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Cute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes. I am. So when I was doing all this research, I was like, I know who that is. I know who that is. I watched her. She's a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Just like remembering these things from watching it and like being like, oh my God, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. So this has, this is very close to my heart. So anyway, that's how I'm attached to this and why it's so great. So journalists, if we can call them that because they're not great in this particular (laughs) instance, most of them American because Mm -hmm. we love a gossip rag. Yeah. Yeah. um, Began to claim that Surya Bonnelly was born on the island of Reunion is Reunion. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's French. Um, it's an island off the coast of Madagascar. So they start rumors, essentially, mm-hmm. that that's where she was born and that she was found lying on a coconut-strewn beach. So they're just like, hey, let's, let's yeah. give a real racist telling oh. of her oh. early life. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, it gets better. Oh. And by that, I mean worse. <laughs> so... They're telling these tall tales. Also, it's not true at all. She was born in Nice. (laughs) And can you believe the media couldn't wrap their brain around a young, black, super talented figure skater? Could have been born in France. That she had to be Mm -hmm. magically found on a beach somewhere (laughs) surrounded by coconuts. Like, so fucked. I was like, So anyway. Yuck. 
So Didier, her mm-hmm. dipshit coach, <laughs> believed that all of this media attention was great and would totally help her to get better scores in international competitions and make people like her more because she's exotic and mysterious and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Sue. Lots of things wrong with that. Yeah. He also told reporters. (laughs) Yep. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. He told reporters that she had been raised on a macrobiotic diet. What? She was just vegetarian. It doesn't matter. It's not oh macrobiotic. <laughs> and that she ate birdseed for breakfast. Which, I mean, with sometimes with the amount of, like, mm-hmm. flax seeds and, like, hemp hearts <laughs> that I put in my oatmeal, sometimes it is a little <laughs> bit tastes like birdseed, probably. Mm-hmm. But also, fuck you. Yeah. And also said that the 17-inch long ponytail she wore in her first Olympic appearance had never been cut. So it it made it into this very like Samson esque mm-hmm. like oh all of her power comes from her hair yeah you know it's uh... it's all <laughs> it's gross <laughs> and just so messed up and it's like what and it, it's it's that classic thing that white society does to societies or individuals of people of color mm-hmm. that excel and it's that they can't do it. Because they're people of color. So they have to add this, like, mythical element to it. Exactly. To make them stand out. And it is actively violent. It's fucking (laughs) disgusting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yuck. So all of this is garbage. And that's why he's a trash monster. But fun fact, when Surya was researching her birth history, Mm -hmm. she discovered that her biological mother was, in fact, from the Reunion Island weird that that right? was accurate yeah um <laughs> and her biological father was from the ivory coast in west africa huh so those are two very far they are away places <laughs> yeah yeah madagascar is teeny tiny and it's just off the coast of africa isn't it yeah south it's on the south other side of africa okay. and then the ivory coast would be like on the other side of the continent okay. it would almost be i guess like like the Florida uh-huh. versus where Oregon is. Okay. All right. Where was I? So we're in February of 1992. So she took the athlete's oath at the Winter Olympics Ooh. in Albertville, France. Why and have I never heard of the Olympic oath? What is that? It's an oath you take as an Olympian that essentially is like, this is an honor and a privilege and I won't cheat and I will be a good sportsman. You know, I'll have mm. good sportsmanship. Okay. And I just never knew about it. That's kind yeah. of, it's a cool thing to go through. It is. Being at the Olympics and doing like the Walk of Nations. Oh, yeah. All of that. It blows my mind to think that people get to be part of that. Mm-hmm. But then to also like, yeah, this is an honor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to to do my country proud mm-hmm. and do the best that I can. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's fucking cool. L- literally the best of the best is there. Yeah. And you get to be considered the best of the best. That's right. Very cool. So during a practice session, she landed a backflip because that's her fucking jam. She's been doing it since she was 12. Damn. So she landed a backflip close to Japan's Midori Ito. And was told by officials not to do it again. Now, mind you, this is a practice session. She can do whatever the fuck she wants on the ice. Yeah. Because they're warming up. 
they're they're getting limber. Mm-hmm. But this official told her not to do it again because they believed that other skaters might be intimidated by her. And to that, I say, you should be intimidated <laughs> because this bitch is incredible. <laughs> and not to mention, she was also fabulously dressed because Christian Lacroix, who is a very famous designer, loved her and mm. did all of her costumes. That is very cool. So, like, not only is she she's doing all this crazy shit in practice sessions, she's looking amazing. And the judges are like, excuse me, I need you to <laughs> dial back the fucking moxie because you're scaring all the other skaters. <sighs> yeah. Yuck. Yep, real yuck. So, where was I? During her program, she became the first woman to attempt a quadruple toe loop, but the jump was not fully rotated in the air, and she had to complete the rotation on the ice. Okay. So, it was beautiful and incredible, but she did lose some points Mm -hmm. because of their very outdated judging system. Mm -hmm. Although the door was open for her to win a medal after Midori Ito and Tanya Harding, Mm -hmm. they had finished fourth and sixth in the short program. And Christy Yamaguchi and Nancy Kerrigan both made major errors in their long skating program. Mm Mm-hmm. Just before, she placed sixth in the free skate and fifth overall. So even though Christy Yamaguchi and Nancy Kerrigan, it was beautiful because they're great and they're all super talented. That's why they're at the fucking Olympics. Mm -hmm. But they made major errors and lost points. And Midori Ito and Tanya Harding, same thing. In you know, so their overall scores were like, "Mm." Mm -hmm. and she still got sixth. So she didn't medal. Damn. Yeah. Which is fucking shitty. Mm-hmm. It's very sad. So this was not the first, nor would it be the last time that she got com- just shafted. Let's see. In January 1994, Surya placed in all segments on her way to her fourth consecutive continental title at the European Championships. Well, damn. Four years in a row. And the other medalists were Oksana Bayul. And a Russian skater named Olga Markova. So, she's killing it. Mm-hmm. She's taking first in all of these things. It's a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. But then a month later, she competed at the 1994 Winter Olympics in Lillehammer, Norway. And she ranked third in the short program and fourth in the free skate. And finished fourth overall mm-hmm. behind Oksana Bayul, Nancy Kerrigan, and Chen Liu. So again, mm-hmm. she's proving herself over and over and over and over again to mm-hmm. be incredibly talented. I was listening to some interviews on that losers thing, mm-hmm. and it was another <laughs> YouTube clip that I watched, but people were like, she nailed Every single jump, every single time. Her programs were flawless. I, too, mm-hmm. was, like, watching her <laughs> as a small child going, oh, my God. How? How is she doing this? Mm-hmm. Why? She, she wins. She wins. 
give it everything to her because she's incredible. Mm-hmm. Not only super talented, but dynamic and beautiful and so interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. So that happened. So now we are here and it is time for some real hot girl shit. <laughs> okay. So real hot girl shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh. <laughs> So, at the 1994 World Championships mm-hmm. in Chiba, Japan, Surya's final overall score was equal to the Japanese favorite, Yuka Sato. After a 5-4 to four tiebreaker decision, Surya was awarded the silver medal. Of course. But she refused it. <gasps> Real hot girl shit. Real hot girl (laughs) shit. Okay, so here's what happened. So, Surya had adapted her program Mm -hmm. to be more feminine and graceful. She'd stopped trying to land quadruple jumps. She also cut her thick braided ponytail Mm -hmm. because the judges didn't like it. She made all these concessions to better suit the expectations of the judges mm-hmm. and was still overlooked despite her technical prowess. Are you going to talk about the judging? Yes. Okay. Cool. So, I was going to I was going to go off, but I didn't yeah. want to cut you off. <laughs> so, all of the scores mm-hmm. for her technical mm-hmm. were like 5.8, 5.9 on a scale of 6. Mm-hmm. Near perfect. Near perfect. Her scores for, I can't think of the word. Not the technical. Like showman. Yes. Ship. But like her look. Yeah. The aesthetics of it. Yeah. She got like 5.6, 5.7. And it was the opposite for the national favorite. Mm-hmm. And so the scores were identical. Mm-hmm. So then the judges who are in these... Two clans, essentially. There's a handful of judges who care a lot about the technical aspects. Mm -hmm. And there's a handful of judges that care about aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are white Europeans Mm -hmm. and Americans. American judges. Oh, boy. (laughs) Looks are everything. If you don't look like an ice queen, then uh, sorry about it. And so that's what happened. So basically... First place, gets the gold medal, Mm -hmm. goes up on the podium, gets her medal. She's called out. Syria's called out. She comes out and stood next to her platform. Hell yeah. And there's this big hubbub Mm -hmm. about, like, well, why isn't she getting up there? You know, the the sportscasters are like, okay, so she's standing next to it. Is she going to get up there? Is she not going to get up there? And then this old man walks over and puts the medal around her neck and practically pushes her up onto this platform but then she took her medal off and held it and then the bronze medal came out accepted it whatever Mm -hmm. she stood there while the anthems played and everything and then got attacked by the press afterwards yeah and we're like what's you know why why did you do this and blah 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 like did you think you should have won yeah (laughs) Yeah, she fucking should have because she had better scores. Yeah. It's... I Look, I had a thought. I was literally thinking about this as I was writing it. Let me just 
take a moment before I say what I was going to say. So she said, I did everything I could, but I didn't paint myself white. That's for sure. So she's upset by these results. It's ridiculous. And this is her form of protest. Mm -hmm. Do it. But then I wrote, because I was like, I need to talk to Kiana about this. (laughs) I said, I have mixed feelings about this. Okay. And I said, from my time playing sports Mm -hmm. for many, many years, I was like, bad sportsmanship? Mm -hmm. Question mark? But also racism. So like what? (laughs) I think. I don't know. A lot of athletes use their sport as a way to like say fuck you yep (laughs) to the racism that they are experiencing absolutely and they very well fucking should yeah and i think sportsmanship should only be extended to your competitors and that the system in which you are working under does not deserve the respect if it is not paying you the respect amen (laughs) thank you thank you for putting that into like a tangible because i was like these both of these things can be true at the same time Mm -hmm. racism was real but also having good sportsmanship and etc but i was like how is this put together Mm -hmm. yes and you're right yeah and it's usually like in more modern examples of it you think Mm -hmm. of like serena williams and Mm -hmm. naomi i think her name osaka Osaka. Mm -hmm. okay when serena williams was really upset and was protesting the choice naomi and her were tight Mm -hmm. Because they get it. Exactly. And I think specifically for this time, and if you know anything about Tanya Harding, who typically gets a lot more attention for this time, Mm -hmm. the judging of ice skating is classist, racist, colorist. Absolutely. So it's no no surprise that somebody like Bonnelly was like, hey, I'm fucking tired. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Yeah. God, girl. Damn it, I love you so much. <laughs> All right. So, where are we? Also, if you want a message about saying mm-hmm. fuck you to the judges, I once again recommend the movie Stick It. Yes! Where the first half of the movie is about Haley, yep. the main character, and the second half is she's not the narrator anymore, and it's just about how fucked up gymnastics judging is. Mm-hmm. Because, like ice skating, they get to judge all the women based on how they look. That's right. Again, that's a patriarchy. <laughs> yup. Yup. All right. Where was I? Okay. So, it's a 1994, 1995 season. In 1995, Surya won the European Championships for the fifth time. Hell yeah. Consecutively. She completely demolished <laughs> all <laughs> all the competition like no holds barred so then at the world championships in england she placed fourth in the short program but rose to second after the free skate she was awarded her third world silver medal behind chen lu of china and for the third consecutive year she lost the gold medal by just one judge and one-tenth of a point. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, her free skate had the most difficult technical content with two triple lutzes, two triple-triple combos, and seven triples. 
Oh, that's a lot of threes. So. <laughs> she's, she's spinning a whole fucking lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, let's see. Where did I go now? So, prior to the 1998 Winter Olympics, we're jumping ahead a little bit, in Nagano, Japan. Nagano? Nagano? Nagano, Japan. Surya ruptured her Achilles tendon. For the second time. This is the second time this has happened. Which sounds fucking terrible and yeah. very painful. Oh. But she placed sixth in the short program because of her injury. Why can't I say that word? <laughs> injury. Thank you. So she placed sixth in the short program. So she's like, son of a bitch. I need to pull out all the stops in the long program. Oh, yeah. So because of her injury... She can't do her planned free skate routine and she can't land a triple Lutz because she's landed on, on her bad foot. So she decided to do the next best thing, which is a backflip with a split (gasps) landing on one blade, which tell you what, if you watch this shit, it'll blow your goddamn mind. (laughs) Like how, how? Where does it come from within your body? How do you move, jump? What happens? There's so many questions. The, the sheer physics of it, my brain can't wrap my, around. Mm-hmm. Uh, this move is now called a Bonnelly. Oh, I love <laughs> women who get tricks named after them. Right? <laughs> There's a fucking cough! <laughs> and I... I love it. I'm getting sweaty up here now. I've recently was watched a video with Simone Biles, who has quite a few named after her. Sweet Jesus. And I love... Yep. Love them. Love them. <laughs> love them. So amazing. All right. So backflips. <laughs> now, let's get back to this. Backflips have been banned mm-hmm. since 1976. But she hoped that because she landed it on one foot, maybe they would be like... Holy shit. <laughs> we can't not give her points for this. Right. It's illegal to land on two feet, but she only landed on one. So she was like, oh. She's oh. like, new move. Is there a caveat? New Lo- move? Loophole? Big points. What's up? <laughs> but that's, that's not how it worked because. That's really smart. Yeah, exactly. That's super smart. <laughs> yeah, it is. Also, she had a fucking ruptured Achilles <laughs> tendon. So she's like, it's going to fucking hurt if I land on both of these. Mm-hmm. I know. I'll just do it on the good one. What? You goddamn champion. Yeah. Damn. However, that was not the case, and she did receive a point deduction. Mm-hmm. Um, they not only took her points, but the judges behind her back called her insolent, and that said that she had behaved unacceptably. So <laughs> she According finished... According to them. <laughs> exactly. So she finished 10th. In those Olympics and retired from amateur competition after that event. So basically, she went on to become a professional figure skater, which meant the freedom to do whatever kind of fucking tricks and flips and programs and music and anything she fucking wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no rules, no points, just fun. She toured the world with several skating shows, including Champions on Ice and she is now a coach teaching figure skating and training future Olympians in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just had some fun notes here. Can I point something out also that just Please. came to yes. mind? If I'm remembering the losers 
docu episode correctly. Mm-hmm. It's also a big slap in the face because I think backflips were legal in male figure yes. skating. Yes, because <laughs> three men, three men had done it points out the wazoo. Yep. Okay. But they were like, oh, women can't do that. Women are too docile. Literally, they're too docile, but also they don't have the physical strength or abilities to do that. And she was like, hi, fuck you. <laughs> and did it. And they were like, oh, no, no, that's not ladylike. Ugh. So you can lose points for that, which exa- exactly. Yeah. Barf emoji. <laughs> so in 2013, at age 40, yeah, girl, for your eyebrows just got so high. She performed her last backflip in public at an exhibition in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Um, she appeared on the episode Judgment of a 2019 Netflix documentary series that explored the lives of historic individuals who bounced back from loss or perceived failure. Which she did fucking again and again and again. Yeah. Because <laughs> she was like, come on. One day you guys will give me the fucking points I deserve. In Surya's case, the episode focused on her defiance, her longevity on the ice, and refusal to submit to conventions. To which I say, get it, girl. <laughs> she didn't fit the mold of previous figure skating champions. She was fast on the ice she's also short and muscular with strong legs and an undeniably dark complexion mm-hmm. you're not gonna mistake her <laughs> she is a fucking force to be reckoned with but she didn't look like the quote ice princess mm-hmm. which is petite Nan- and slender and white and and just because you said her name earlier nancy kerrigan was like the, the ice princess yeah absolutely um, in an interview with the BBC, when asked if she ever felt that things were harder for her because she was black, this was her response. It was a mix of so many things. First, because I was black and I didn't try to copy anyone. Second, because I came from a small country. Third, because I've had a different hairstyle and look and also because my mother made my skating costumes for so many years. All of those things together was just too much for some people to handle. And in an interview with The Root, she said, race matters for sure, because I know that if I'd been white, I would have had more endorsement contracts and been bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And because she's a huge name. Yeah. Can you imagine if she was actually given the support from... Exactly. (laughs) If people threw money and endorsements at her the way that they did Nancy Kerrigan, (laughs) (laughs) we would be in a different place right now and not having this conversation. Yeah. I mean, we still would, but it'd be like, but also they're throwing lots of money and endorsements (laughs) at her, so... It would be better. (laughs) Yeah. It wouldn't have a downside. The story would have less of a downside. Exactly. Sad portion. Um, Let's see. She also said, you know, talking about this in a 2007 book called Sport, Malediction de Noir. I didn't write down what that means. It's a French (laughs) book. She's quoted as saying, there aren't many black figure skaters in the world, which is fucking true. Mm -hmm. In France, it's starting to get better. If I were white, I would have been a gold medalist a long time ago. My motto was to tell myself, 
that there was this obstacle, but that I had to go beyond and work more because I knew it would be harder for me. I told myself that if my rival made five triples, I had to make seven. I tried not to think about race, even if it was a reality. But how much influence race had on my marks? 2%? More? I don't know. If I were light-skinned, it probably would have been easier. Yeah. She's such a wonderful person. She really is. I had another fun fact that I didn't really know where to put, but mm-hmm. I just put it down here. Go so ahead, at the me. 1988 Summer Olympics, Surya noticed Florence Griffith Joyner, a.k.a. Flojo. Oh, okay. Flojo, girl. <laughs> that's, what, that's what's up. Saw her wearing this, like, bright bold colored running suit mm-hmm. because Flojo is the shit and always had super, super cool like running suits <laughs> and shoes. She was like, I'm here. I'm fast as hell, but mm-hmm. also look how good I am. Yeah. <laughs> and how good I look. So Suri was inspired to create costumes and makeup looks and hairstyles that were bold and brightly colored all throughout her career. Mm-hmm. And that was super unusual for figure skating costumes at the time which were like pastel and sparkly and Mm -hmm. you know nothing like elegant 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 minimal live yeah yes and she was like oh no honey i'm here (laughs) (laughs) look at how amazing i look yeah so after retiring from competitive skating many of the rules were changed regarding dress code and technical elements the fucking course. Of course. As well as a new scoring system being put into place. So, unfortunately, this is not this is this is not a story of her getting her fucking flowers. Mm-hmm. I wish it had been because mm-hmm. she would have bookshelves lined. Yeah. She'd have an armoire filled with gold <laughs> medals because that's how goddamn talented this woman is. Yeah. And that is the end of my story. Yay. Yay. Thank you. I feel like I just talked for a really long time. Oh, shit. Okay. (laughs) I was having a grand old time. Thank you. That was so fun. Yeah. All right. Who are you talking about this weekend? Jumping to mine. This week. (laughs) This weekend. All right. This week, I'm going to be talking about Hedy Lamar. (gasps) Yes, queen. (laughs) I love Hedy Lamar. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Cool. So, she's awesome. Yes, she is. We'll just jump into it. I'll read my sources at the end. Okay. So, Hedy Lamarr was born Hedwig Eva Keisler in Vienna, Austria on November 19th, 1914. Scorpio! (laughs) She was the only child of Emil and Gertrude, who were a well-to-do Jewish family in this, like, art neighborhood. Nice. Is where she was raised. Uh, her mother was a concert pianist and mm-hmm. encouraged Hetty to participate in the arts, signing her up for both ballet and piano at a young age. And her father was a bank director. <coughs> Rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and was described as a curious man who inspired her to look at the world with open eyes. Oh, I love that. So even though he was like a banker, he was actually more interested in like tinkering and like Uh how things worked oh that's really cool uh so he discussed the inner workings of different machinery in the area just as they would walk around Um, nice yeah and by five years old she was so inspired by him that she could be found taking apart her music box Uh and reassembling it so cool and i watched a documentary called 
Bombshell, the Hedy Lamarr story. <laughs> oh, great and title. in the documentary, they had the music box and it was still working. That's so... Nah. <laughs> yeah. So... Oh, my gosh. Very, very smart cookie. It was like a little wooden thing. Uh-huh. Like, you know, they don't make toys like they used to. Yeah. <laughs> so the old toys stand the test of time. <laughs> she attended a private school and her favorite topic was chemistry. Mm. She only became smarter and more beautiful as time passed. And unfortunately, as society does to many beautiful and smart women, mm-hmm. her intelligence was ignored. Of course. She's got a pretty face. Why does she need a brain? Exactly. <laughs> so she, when she was younger, she wanted to be a scientist. Mm-hmm. And then started moving away from that because as she was getting more beautiful, she got more attention for that. Mm-hmm. And she began to notice that women in the arts were given more liberties yeah. than women in other professions. Um, so she decided to pursue her career in acting. Gorgeous. At the ripe old age of 16. Oh, my God. <laughs> so at 16, she was discovered Quotes around discovery <laughs> uh, by director Max Reinhardt and then moved to Berlin to okay. study acting. Um, and she was her first role was as an extra in the 1930 film Geld auf der Straße, Money on the Street. <laughs> oh, OK. However, it wasn't until 1932 that Lamar gained name recognition. And it was due to a very controversial film called Ecstasy. <laughs> Oh, so in the film, she was shown acting out a female orgasm. Oh, <gasps> yeah. the scandal. Exactly. Clutching the pearls. Clutching everybody. them. Uh, the film was denounced by the Pope. <laughs> God, what a buzzkill. <laughs> because of the orgasm. Of course. And Hitler denounced the film because she's she, a dick. Because he's a dick and she was Jewish. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Of that scene, though. Hetty says that she actually wasn't aware of what she was doing. So she's young at this time. Yeah. Like, I think 19 Mm -hmm. or, like, between 16 and 19. And she was alone on set. And the director was just like, okay, act like this. Act like this. Uh Act like this. And then at the end, Uh cut it together. (gasps) Really? Yeah. So she didn't know. And wow. But clearly it rattled. It rattled <laughs> Hitler and the Pope enough to be like, oh, this is definitely real. We can't have this. <laughs> right. Well, and it was considered like because women can't orgasm on screen without it being pornographic. Yes. So that's the whole it's stupid. Oh. Um, but also very shitty that she was taken advantage of. Yes. Yeah. That. So all of all of these things are true. Just a sh- a cocktail of shitty things. <laughs> so she was actually very embarrassed and was like, "Oh no, what am I gonna do? Uh-huh. How do I tell my dad? Oh lord!" And so she just had a kind of a bad time for a little bit. Uh-huh. Was embarrassed, but then like right after she was branded a slut, she was like, "I'm not gonna do this." <laughs> and so she went on to do a stage performance and sort of gained back some respect from oh, okay. the arts community. Because she did such a bang-up job. Mm-hmm. And then this this is also when she met her first husband, ultimate dickhead of the world, <laughs> Fritz Mandel. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Fritz. He saw her on stage and was like, oh, beautiful young woman, I must, must have her. Uh-huh, of course. And so in 1933, they married. Fritz was 14 years her senior, mm. considered the Henry Ford of Germany. So, <gasps> Oh, shit. Very wealthy. And also like Henry Ford. A Nazi. (laughs) (laughs) They're all fucking Nazis. We're burying the lead on this one. Fritz is a dick, but also a Nazi. Mm -hmm. And also a Nazi. And also. (laughs) 
Can't can't miss that one. Like Hitler knew about him. Oh no. Nazi. Oh. But was like, yeah, thanks for the help, but would never be seen with him because he was also Jewish. Oh my god. Yeah. That's a something I don't even understand. Yeah. Well, somebody's uh what oh, shit. I was gonna say something real smart, but then I forgot it. <laughs> There was, we learned about it in my class once and it just helped me with like my perspective of things uh-huh. is that uh, something along the lines of like colonizers feast at a, on a country, yeah. but there are people there to set the table. So it's, it's all sure. intertwined. Sure, sure. She was incredibly unhappy married to Fritz. Mm. Can't but, imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> besides the fact that he was a Nazi, you know? Yeah. She was just arm candy. So mm-hmm. she is incredibly smart and has her hobby is science uh-huh. tinkering inventing but when she was with him she had to play the host for him and his associates and she was never intellectually fulfilled Ugh. also fritz was an extremely jealous man are we surprised uh, probably had a teeny weeny too oh probably <laughs> most nazis do that's what i hear <laughs> and there was a story that he tried to buy all the films of ecstasy <gasps> because he was extremely jealous oh and his wife God. was <laughs> acting out an orgasm in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the... well, he wanted to know what it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! I hope that got picked up. <laughs> I hope so. If, if it did, you need to blow it up real high. <laughs> so he tries buying up all these films, but he's fucking stupid because yeah. the studio was just meeting the demands of what was being bought. They're like, this is flying off the shelves. Keep making them. Yeah. So they just get... Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? He's just got to have... He has a vault. Just ceiling to floor. Stuffed with these <laughs> copies. He's like, they just keep coming. I don't know where they're coming from. So he gave up. Because he's stupid. Idiot. Hetty once said of her relationship with Fritz, quote, I knew very soon that I could never be an actress while I was his wife. He was the absolute monarch in, the, in his marriage. I was like a doll. I was like a thing, some object of art which had to be guarded and imprisoned, having no mind, no life of its own. Ugh. So she didn't like it. Good Lord. <laughs> in 1937, still married to Fritz, the country was in turmoil. As you can imagine, mm-hmm. Hitler was around and war was inevitable. The stress of the impending war, unfortunately, had an effect on her father, and he suffered from a heart attack and died. And she was heartbroken by this, because she considered him, like, everything. Yeah. Heartbroken by his death, she remembered the lesson that he taught her in life, which is, be yourself and take what you want. Ooh, I like it. (laughs) Let's all live by that motto. (laughs) Right. Except except straight white men. Oh, yeah. You can't. Unless none, you none have, for you. Unless you have nefarious desires, don't. Yeah. <laughs> so I imagine she just looked around the, the actual fucking castle that she lived in with Fritz. I'm not joking. It was a castle. <laughs> and she was like, I'm going to do what I want. And so one night, drugged a maid, stole the maid's clothes, sewed her jewelry into the maid's clothing, <gasps> clothing packed some shit, hopped on a bike, ran away. Oh, my God. <laughs> so now she's in England. Icon. Oh, my gosh. I love that she prob- She just rode her bike to England. She was like, I'm here. Hello. Please adore me. <laughs> I, I mean, wasn't exactly like that. Okay, fair. So she went there. She didn't speak any English. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, that's a bad time. So she considered her time in England like a, whoa, now what's the next step? Sure. But because she knows her fucking worth and she knows uh-huh. she's fantastic, she just one evening went to the movie theaters mm-hmm. and then was like, oh, duh, I'm going to be an actress. <laughs> I don't have to speak English. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, she's like, I can learn the lines in English and yeah. then I don't need to know what else. Mm-hmm. And so she went to an American casting agent in town that just so happened to get her in touch with Louis B. Mayer, who is one of the M's in MGM. In MGM. Okay. Yeah. The second one. The last M. Nice. <laughs> Me- yeah. Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I had no... There was nothing. I was just like, yeah, MGM. Those are names. I'll... He's one of the M's. <laughs> Okay, okay. Look, I'm just going to put a little feather in my cap for knowing that. (laughs) So he was in town Mm -hmm. specifically scouting for Jewish talent from people fleeing the war. Oh. Which is... That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. It's a little exploitive, but it's... I guess it depends on, you know, how things turned out in the end. Yeah. I I mean, it turned out good for Hetty. Yeah, well, so, kind of. Kind of? He's a dick. Oh, <laughs> God, they all are. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, being a silver screen actress at the time, it's not exactly gl- more glam yeah. on the surface than it actually is. All right. And also, it would be a cool thing, mm-hmm. but he's very fucking rich, so yeah. he probably could have done some other things. Yeah. <laughs> just just for Some that. philanthropizing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> some philanthropizing. So he he liked her because she is beautiful, stunning, Mm -hmm. vibrant. And he was like, okay, how about $125 a week to work at the studio? And she was like, I want a little bit more. And so she rejected the offer (laughs) (laughs) and left the meeting. Oh, pretty immediately after doing that, though, she was like, "Mm, I think I might have I think I might have made a mistake. (laughs) So she basically was like, boo, 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 boo. I may have gotten a little ahead of myself. <laughs> but she would never admit that. <laughs> no. God, no. no. She's Eddie Lamar. So you know what she did? What? She was like, oh, he told me about the ship he was taking back to the U.S. So oh she God. booked a ticket to be on the same ship as him to America. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. She casually runs into him at dinner and is like, oh, hello. I have... In German. Mm-hmm. Oh, hello. 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 <laughs> Guten Tag. <laughs> Basically, she just slowly started running into him on the boat, oh schmoozing, and she was in this like shitty, cheap, yep, living situation. Uh-huh. But she was coming out to like dinners dressed in couture, <laughs> and like all of her like jewelry and stuff that she had lined. Mm-hmm. Her, she was going all out for it, and it caught him and his associates' attention. <laughs> so they were like, you know what? We got to have you work for us. How about $500 a week? <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, sure, I could do that for you. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> you got to admire the tenacity. <laughs> Look, I love this woman before. Hero. Yeah. Oh, okay. And this is when she started going by the name Hedy Lamar because an exec and his wife just picked it for her. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really anything special mm-hmm. stepping off the boat for the first time in the u.s she was greeted by paparazzi and introduced as the new mgm discovery she 
didn't have any roles. <laughs> and she didn't for like a trial period of her contract. Mm-hmm. And she was very afraid that she wasn't going to be used by the studio. But she also couldn't do other things because of the contract. Yep. But then she was casted in the movie Algiers. And it solidified her spot as a seductive, sultry, silver screen actress. She did great. Gorge. There is a quote from... They played a little clip of the movie Uh to like be like, see, look at how glam she was. Mm -hmm. And the line is... I'm going to act it out. Okay. This is my voice acting. I'm ready. So I'm a man right now. Mm -hmm. What did you do before? (laughs) Before what? That's heady. (laughs) Before the jewels. I wanted them. <laughs> That's the romance scene. <laughs> Gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I love that. What did you do before the jewels? I wanted the jewels. <laughs> <laughs> and what? <laughs> and in this movie is when her look became iconic. I Exactly. Mm-hmm. And was highly sought after by the general public. Mm-hmm. Brown hair. Middle part. Darker red lip, mm-hmm. eyeliner, being Caucasian, the whole thing. <laughs> God, really, just the epitome of what people were working to. Right. And her unparalleled beauty made what it was the inspiration behind Snow White and Catwoman, mm. which was like, hell yeah. And in the 1940s, plastic surgery patients requested her profile like the most. Oh, Wow. They were like, you see this? Do you see <laughs> the angles she is serving? Mm-hmm. Make me that. <laughs> that exactly. <laughs> Oof. Ooh. And plastic surgery back then wasn't fantastic. No, that's not good. Yeah. Around this time, she married her second husband, Jean Markey, and she really loved him. And together they adopted a son. But shortly after the marriage began, Jean was cheating on her. And this broke her heart. And she has a real hard time with her looks. Like, it's a very complicated feelings. Mm -hmm. And in this case, she was like, I loved him. He loved how I looked. Yeah. And that's not equal. You know, that's not the same thing. During this time, the studio was also giving her shitty roles. Mm. So she didn't feel like anything that she wanted to happen was happening anymore. So in classic heady fashion, she was like, well, I'm going to take what I want. (laughs) (laughs) So she went to Mare and was like, hey, give me this role in Boomtown. Mm -hmm. And it revived her career because she was right. (laughs) She she just had the eye for it. She knew what would play well. Yeah. Um, And so at this time, she started to work like a racehorse. The studio put her on the famous Judy Garland work cocktail of uppers, downers, coffee and cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) breakfast of champions exactly. <laughs> oh uh, no yeah so yeah. she was exhausted during mm-hmm. the long days of acting but also so energized <laughs> right and the only thing that was giving her like any sort of solace was her inventing so she had a little inventor's table at uh-huh. her house and so oh after days of filming she would come home and like tinker and stuff oh my amazing. gosh amazing and at this time she was also introduced to howard hughes and they began dating. <laughs> they worked really well together. She actually had only nice things to say about him. Hughes saw her for her brain mm-hmm. and not for her beauty and began to like provide her with 
resources. So she, oh. he, he gifted her with a portable inventor's kit that she could bring to oh her trailer. Oh, my gosh. He was working on planes for the war mm-hmm. and was like, yeah, whenever you want, you can come talk to my scientists and chemists and they'll like consult with you about anything you want. Wow. And they also sat down very often and were like helping each other and just exchanging thoughts. Very That's smart so cool. Things. Yeah. So he took her to where he was working because he was trying to make faster planes for the war effort. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what do you think? And she's like, well, this fucking shit looks boxy (laughs) (laughs) and so she bought a book on fish and a book on birds and looked studied the fastest of each and then was like these this is what you need to do to the wings you need some motherfucking aerodynamics Mm -hmm. exactly oh (laughs) that's so cool i love it when she showed him her designs Mm -hmm. he was like damn you're a genius (laughs) And she was like, yes, I know. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm beautiful. And I'm stunning. Have you seen me? And look at this gorgeous brain. <laughs> and at this time, she also invented a tablet that dissolved in water to make Coca-Cola. What? And it, what? it worked, but uh-huh. it didn't work very well because different states have different chemistry of water. Sure. So that it, it just failed yeah. like, okay. because All of right. that. But still, cool as shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the inventing part of her life was going well for her, but she was still very conscious about like, you know, there's a war going on. (laughs) And her mother was still in Europe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As a Jewish woman. Oh, that's bad. And she, so at this, I keep saying at this point, that's my new word. It's fine. uh, My new phrase. I realized it when I was typing and Mm -hmm. I was like, wow. I say at this time a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, her mom was in England, so she had fled Austria. But the issue was nobody could get to other places yeah, yeah. because the German U-boats were attacking anybody, any, anybody, uh-huh. any boats filled with refugees. And so it wasn't safe for her mother to make the journey over. Mm-hmm. So this was on Hetty's brain. In 1940, she met with future friend and collaborator George Antel at a dinner party. And Antel was an eccentric man known for his writing, film scores, and experimental music compositions. And they bonded over their love for inventing and Mm -hmm. would just talk to each other about cool shit that they wanted to come up with. (laughs) Exactly. I love that. (laughs) And during the conversations, the thing that kept coming up was the war. And Hetty once said to George... So this is a quote from George, not from Hetty. Mm-hmm. Quote, she did not feel very comfortable sitting there in Hollywood and making lots of money when things were in such a state. Mm. And so they began to think about ideas to combat the U-boats. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> this is a good part. <laughs> Almost. This is, okay, like, okay. this is the seed of a good I'll part. I'll be patient. So they decided that. The U-boats were outmaneuvering other submarines and boats. So they were like, okay, what if we made a radio-controlled torpedo that would maneuver through the waters more easily and get the Mm U-boats? But the issues were that radio signals get jammed very easily. Uh And Hetty was like, what do I got to do to make a solution? What about frequency hopping? So instead of saying on one, like, radio channel, Mm -hmm. the idea was you hop between them. 
so that nothing can be jammed, but you're still getting a clear message. Mm-hmm. The system involved both a transmitter and a receiver with both ends hopping the same frequencies together. Okay. And doing so prevented interception. After its creation, Lamar and Antel sought a patent and went to the military and were like, yo, mm-hmm. does this look good? And the military were like, yeah, we've <laughs> never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was very, very impressed. And she was awarded the patent and... They both donated it to the military with the promise that they would get money from it if it was used. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the Navy decided against the implementation of it because it took the way it worked, compacted. Science, science <laughs> me, babe. Compacted the way it worked. Mm-hmm. So Antil was like, okay, frequency hopping, that's cool. I have a simultaneous like piano player mm-hmm. that takes scripts and puts things on the same page and that's how they would get the frequencies to hop together okay they showed it to the navy and the navy were they were like great idea big old clunky piano paper is not going to fit on a submarine gotcha so gotcha. that's why that's why it was scrapped put off by the rejection george and hetty sort of naturally split mm-hmm. from the inventing thing that they were doing together and started doing other projects. Mm-hmm. Hetty, still looking to help with the war effort, was told very condescendingly to, <laughs> that she would actually be helpful if she was selling war bonds. Oh. <laughs> Instead of using her brain if she used her looks. Mm-hmm. And she was like, ugh, fine. And so she sold $25 million worth of war Holy bonds. Holy shit! In 10 days. Oh my I'm <laughs> sorry, what? Yeah. She was on one. She was going... She was everywhere telling people, buy this, buy this. We got to do it. $25 million in war bonds mm-hmm. in 10 days. Mm-hmm. In 1940? Yeah. That has not been adjusted at all. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> she also did performances for the soldiers abroad and then was Forced to act in a resoundingly shitty film called White Cargo. Oh, yeah, that sounds just, just a title is like, who okayed this? Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. And it was sort of described as like a her part was like a fluff bit mm-hmm. for the soldiers. Yeah, they need eye candy. They're going to watch this shitty movie. Might as well look at a pretty face for a little while. Exactly. And it's even worse than that. Oh, gosh. So she played an Arabic woman disguised as an indigenous woman that was trying to seduce the four white men on this, like, island. Sweet Jesus. Um, Yes, she was in blackface. Oh, no! No! (laughs) Hetty! Yes. And I will fault the documentary a little bit Mm -hmm. because they were showing it. And it was just like, wasn't it shitty that they made her act in this demeaning role? But they said not a word about the blackface. Oh, jeez. So Zeth and I were looking at it and I was like, is anybody going to say anything? Right? (laughs) Are we going to talk about the elephant in the room that is the blackface (laughs) on this Austrian woman? Oh, no. So that's bad. Yeah. She was very upset about the movie. I don't think about the blackface. She's like, I'm an actress. (laughs) Yeah. I'm acting. I could play a tree if I wanted. Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) 
She was very upset about the movie, believing it was a step back in her career. And she knew that she wasn't respected by the studio. So, of course, she said something about it. She was like, hey, Louie, I would like some good roles, please. Yeah. And then she got the reputation of being difficult. Of course, because she was a woman who had standards and expectations. And they said, you're a bitch. We don't like working with you. You demanding woman, you. Yes. And in classic Hetty fashion, (laughs) she's like, well, I'm going to make my own movie. (laughs) Bye. Bye. So she produced her own film. Awesome. This was very frowned upon by the industry. (laughs) And it did not very well. Mm -hmm. And so her next film, she co-produced with someone thinking like, "Uh, maybe this will help. Mm -hmm. Um, Still, it wasn't supported. And both films, though considered well-made, were not financial successes. Mm. And so these independent films that she produced didn't make any money. She wasn't getting any roles. So she was in some financial trouble. Yeah. Before I get further into that, side note, her daughter had a quote in the documentary. And it was basically she was like, yeah, my mom and Betty Davis were the first two women to produce their own films. And that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Quote, she was so ahead of her time with being a feminist. She's never been called that, but she certainly was. Fuck yeah, she was. She was like, oh, I'm just going to do it by myself. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So this daughter in the documentary Mm -hmm. has not been born yet. Uh Enter John Lower, her dad and the man that Hetty has now married (laughs) because she's in financial trouble. Oh, gotcha. Jump back. It wasn't a very happy marriage. Mm-hmm. Again, Hetty described him as, quote, stuffy and boring. But boy, he had money. <laughs> <laughs> Husband, money bag. What's up? Exactly. She was like, oh, they only value me for my looks anyways. I'm just going to get what I need. Fuck Hello. it. Yeah. Yeah. George visited her during this time, Antil, the okay, inventor yep. friend. And he noted that she was not as vibrant as she had been before, and he blamed the boring marriage for keeping her contained. And it was, Hetty wasn't happy, yeah. so she soon divorced him and was basically a single mother now mm-hmm. to her two kids because John didn't take them. Of course not. Responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> so now she's trying to make her own money again, mm-hmm. being independent. And she heard about a series of biblical films that Cecil B. DeMille was making mm-hmm. and called him up. And was like, hello, I'm your Delilah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so she became the female lead of Delilah in the film Samson and Delilah. Mm-hmm. Funny that Samson comes up twice. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the movie did extremely well and was the second highest grossing film of the year. Just behind a little film called Gone with the Wind. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it. Behind that little gem. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, This revived her career and her pockets, and she went on to produce another movie Mm -hmm. because she was like, I got money now. I get to do what I want. And so she produced and starred in Loves of Three Queens, where she played all three queens. She did not. (laughs) She sure did. (laughs) She was like, hello, I am Tyler Perry and Medea's (laughs) I am all the characters. So she f- modeled the film after Samson and Delilah's sort of anthology storytelling. Okay. Because she thought it was going to help it be a box office hit. Mm-hmm. 
but it was not. The movie was unsupported and way more expensive to make than she expected, Mm. probably because she was all three leads and that takes some movie magic. Yeah. (laughs) And she also couldn't find anybody to distribute the film, which is like, how do you make money when nobody's distributing? Yeah. Yeah. Struggling financially again, she married a Texan oil tycoon. (laughs) And her kids sort of describe it as like, yeah, and then one day we moved to Texas. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I got movies to make. Somebody's got to fill up this bank account, honey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But she... And she was sort of just decreasing her time in Hollywood and was Uh like, let me follow my other passions. So she created a replica Austrian style ski resort in Aspen. <laughs> God damn it, I love this woman. Yeah. <laughs> Many believe that she did it as a way to bring like home mm-hmm. back to the States. Yeah. And I think that's very beautiful. Oh. <laughs> it's like she built her own little Leavenworth. Oh, oh that's adorable. Yeah. How charming. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I love that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. In the late 1950s, her and her fifth husband, the oil tycoon named Howard Lee, I didn't say his name earlier, Doesn't matter. they were divorcing and her Judy Garland cocktail Ooh. had clearly developed into an addiction. Yep. So she was, her personal life was going through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they also mentioned something traumatic happening to one of her sons, not really explained anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what happened. And it's not really my business, but it was really hard on her, and he was no longer living with them. Mm. I believe he was still living, though. Okay. Her other children in the documentary also describe her as being very mentally unwell at this point Mm -hmm. and abusive, unfortunately. She also became a client of Dr. Feelgood, who is a famous drug man of Hollywood. Yep. She thought she was getting B12 supplements. It was meth. And so this did nothing to help her. Yeah. This is all bad. Yeah. So she has her previous addiction. She's also been introduced to meth now. Mm -hmm. Past treatment, trauma, everything piling on to one another. And so she's suffered from a nervous breakdown during her divorce proceedings. And much to the divorce court's dismay, she sent a body double, like her body double from the movies. (laughs) (laughs) to the court in her place oh shit that is a bold move to be like i cannot today hello greta i'm gonna need you to stand in for me in divorce court today her name was sylvia sylvia (laughs) yeah i took a swing yeah i feel confident i I really felt confident that greta could be a thing Sylvia, I would have come in clutch. It. I would have accepted it, but I did write down Sylvia. Okay, <laughs> excellent. I'm so glad you did. That bitch deserves a whole lot of accolades. Yes. Way to go, you. Yes. Also, I thought it was pretty nice of her to be helping out. Yeah. Somebody who was going through it. Yeah. She's like you calling me and being like, "Hey, girl, how can I help?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> actually." Uh, this didn't go over well. And so she lost everything, including the ski resort. Oh. Very sad. And she was also fired from her final movie mm-hmm. that she was in the middle of production because mm-hmm. she was caught shoplifting in 1966 oh. in a very, like, Winona Ryder-esque I was just going to say she was Winona Ryder. Yeah. Well, oh. actually, Winona Ryder was Hedy Lamarde. Oh, shit! <laughs> 
Because... So, she had the money. She was caught shoplifting, Mm -hmm. like, $80 worth of things with, like, thousands of dollars in her pocket. Mm -hmm. She wasn't stealing to survive. Mm -hmm. She was stealing probably to feel something because she was being mistreated Mm -hmm. her whole life and going through a mental breakdown and... Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes we do shitty things Mm -hmm. that don't make any sense. And then you get caught and then you go, well, fuck. Let's just add that to the shit pile. Yeah. And she was acquitted. Mm -hmm. But then after she was acquitted, she was fired from the movie. It didn't make any any sense. But, you know. But she's a woman who's misbehaving. Exactly. Exactly. And so she became a recluse. She was living off of like $300 a month at this point, Mm -hmm. which is... Not enough to survive. No, no, it sure isn't. <laughs> and also, she was aging mm-hmm. and being told all her life that you were only worth getting to know because you're yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And then losing the youthful appearance. Hollywood is not kind yeah. to women, period. End of <laughs> sentence. But also, specifically, it doesn't matter how talented you are anything as as that number ticks up Mm -hmm. the worse they fucking treat you especially then Mm -hmm. and she was also being approached by strangers on the street and it was very like oh you you were so beautiful i loved you but like past tense other thoughtless things you know yeah (laughs) and it was taking a toll on her and so she started getting involved in plastic surgery herself Mm -hmm. which i only mention because she was straight up telling surgeons what to do. She was like, I don't want scars here, so you're going to cut here, here, and here, and this is how we're going to do this. And was Damn. very casually and quietly revolutionizing plastic surgery. Good for her. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> she, really impressive. Yeah. In 1969, she's living alone at this point. She wrote to a friend in the Navy and was like, um, hey, can I get my old invention back? Like, can I work on it or... Can you look into it, please? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I'll do what I can. And what did he find? Frequency hopping was hella being used. And <gasps> she had no idea. <gasps> really? <laughs> yes. Oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> In a big way. She was getting no money from it, even after they agreed that they would give it to her if they used it. And this little thing happened in 1959 uh-huh. where they revoked her patent <gasps> because on the grounds that she was an alien. She was not a citizen. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no. This is the woman who raised $25 million in 10 days for the war effort. You're welcome, America. <laughs> yeah, basically. This whole fucking oh thing. Gosh. And so the argument is like, oh, yeah, we're using it, but you don't have the patent. Mm-hmm. But also, there is evidence that they started using it in 1955 mm. before the patent expired. Mm. So she is owned, owed some damn money. Yeah. Um, she was spending some time trying to figure out how to get paid for her work, but it was fairly late in her life. She was getting frustrated with the fighting and mm-hmm. arguing over everything. So to this day, neither Lamar or her estate have gotten anything from it. Oh. And this frequency hopping, which I didn't mention earlier, mm-hmm. paved the way for little things like Wi-Fi. Yeah. Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. GPS. Jesus Christ. <laughs> It wasn't even until Lamar's later years that she received any awards or credit for the invention. So in 1997, she was given her first award, her and George. 
<laughs> and she also became the first woman later to receive the Invention Convention's Bulby Nass Spirit of Achievement Award. <laughs> That's that is a, fun a mouthful. Name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so 1997, she finally gets recognized. In 2000, just three years later, she passes away. She was 85. But even in her old age as a Mm -hmm. recluse and like living as a recluse, she was still inventing things. She invented a fluorescent dog collar, modifications for the supersonic Concorde airliner, and a new kind of stoplight, Mm -hmm. which I kind of looked into, but it was basically telling you when things were about to change or like when something was going to oh interesting yeah and i want to say it's the like flashing that happens sometimes Uh uh-huh the yellow flashing that then turns into red sure i'm not positive though okay but i think she probably had a hand in that excellent and i'm gonna give her credit even if that's not based on fact yeah Lamar was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame for the development of her frequency hopping in 2014, so Mm -hmm. posthumously. And after her death, her son, Anthony, said that she would be pleased with the legacy of her frequency hopping concept. Quote, she would love to be remembered as someone who contributed to the well-being of humankind. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. And that's... That's my story of Hetty. Ah, if you didn't love her before, if I didn't love her before, I certainly do now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Also, as soon as you, when you started talking about how she was starting to like live by herself, away from the public eye, mm-hmm. all I could think in my head was in "Death Becomes Her" mm-hmm. when she's talking about her famous clients. And who's taking the potion? Mm-hmm. She goes, well, we have lots of famous people. And you go, oh, who? He goes, well, I can't say, but I want to be alone. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, that's head of the war. <laughs> yeah. No. So. This, I didn't mention it in my notes. The documentary mm-hmm. that I watched. Oh, I should also name my sources. Oh, yeah. So the documentary, again, was called Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar Story. Mm-hmm. And it was... There was an, a lot of the information that was shared in the documentary mm-hmm. was from a lost interview with a guy who was still alive who had the tapes of their conversation. Mm-hmm. He found them behind a trash can in his office. Oh, my God. It's a great thing. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. And they talk about her kids. I like that her kids were in it talking mm-hmm. about her. And they seem like very smart, well-adjusted, uh-huh. very articulate people. But... Hetty famously throughout her whole life was like, oh, this is being added to the autobiography. This is it. But then never, she uh-huh. never wrote an autobiography. There uh-huh. was one that was ghostwritten, but she like did not stand behind it. Nor uh-huh. did she read it. <laughs> Which she said in the interview. Like, That's not my life. Get out of here. And so her kids were like, this is our way of telling her story and finally giving her voice. That's out to so the cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to um, watch the shit out of this documentary. It's on Canopy. Okay. Which is free if you mm-hmm. have a Multnomah County gift card or gift card <laughs> <laughs> library card. Um, also, my sources: Hedy Lamar, nineteen fourteen to two thousand, by Colin Cheslek. Think, think this World War Two era film star for your Wi-Fi by Alice George. Uh, Hedy Lamar, the incredible mind behind secure Wi-Fi, GPS, and Bluetooth by Siobhan Field, and a little sprinkle of Wikipedia. Excellent. Ugh. 
glorious. My bun is all the way deflated. I literally have just watched it move down your head the entire time you were talking. Every time you would like bob it around, it would just like er, 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 like down your head. Yep. I'll bring it back. Gorgeous. I'll bring I'll bring it back as we do our yes. do our Hey guys. Do, <laughs> do you have thoughts and opinions and want to tell it to us? Go ahead and send us a quick little email at thatbroadsgamoxie at gmail.com. That's right. Also, wherever you're listening to this, go ahead and, and leave us leave us a review. Rate us. Give us those five stars. Uh just you know and subscribe. Yeah. That rate review subscribe. I hit two out of three. <laughs> subscribe. Follow us. We like that. And if you're feeling frisky, go ahead and check out our social media accounts at that Broadscott Moxie on Instagram Instagram and Facebook and Broadscott Moxie on Twitter. That's right. And uh, we will see y'all next week. Catch you on the flip side, motherfucker. Bye. <laughs> Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.